these are the main people that I built this off of and kind of those conversations and the experiences that they've shared. So let's get to it. That's why we're here. These aren't in any particular order. Um, and I'll kind of maybe jump in for to offer, like if you want to shout out a question or something and we'll go from there. All right. So number one, the biggest thing that most people did was you're at Gustavus. You're not in a place where you're one of 200 students. Go up to your professors, learn about them, learn about what excites them and how you can do well in their class. Everybody loves that. We love talking to you. That's why we're professors at Gustavus. You know, you may not have the same success if you end up talking to a person at a larger school. They may not, you know, be as welcoming to students and that's kind of the nature of things. But where you are is special because we are always going to, you know, welcome that in, even if you're not in our class. I've talked to plenty of students that, you know, aren't directly in our class. And so make sure that you can like build those relationships because you can gain a ton of insights just from your professors and their experiences and um, and kind of just how to succeed in these situations. So as we'll get into studying and the amount of material that you'll see in a med school or a, a you know, a healthcare background is going to be massive. So the main thing, and this goes into insight number two, utilize your professors, not just for the content that they're teaching you. Ask us how we teach. Learn how like the science and the cognitive science and the strategies that we follow, because you can apply those to any class then. So I try to share that sometimes with my students. I think we did a little bit of sharing in Bio 101, um, but basically learn how to learn. That's the transferable skill that you can build at any time at a place like Estavis. All of us, you know, it's it's a very unique thing to learn how to, um, it's a very unique thing to take a class after you know how classes are actually designed. That's gonna help you in any med school setting because you're gonna have to encounter a lot of different professors and a lot of different classes. So using us as a resource, find out about each of our teaching styles, find out about what works and how we structure things. And I guarantee you it changes the way that you ever enter another class. You'll have a leg up when you realize the techniques and the teaching you know, strategies that people are following after you learn that. And you can learn that very good at, from professors that are dedicated to teaching at a place like Gustavus, like I said. So if you have professors that you, you know, enjoy, that you've had or you will have in the next two to three years, go up and like have that conversation. You know, how do you structure this class? Why is this content important? Why do you approach it like this? And that will kind of break down that outline that as a student, it, it works, but it works a lot better if you know the actual structure. Okay, three, this is probably the biggest one that if I would advise you to do, and this is again where you can have a lot of people help you, professors included, build a study system. Build something that works. Maybe it's not gonna be the same exact plan for every class, you know, because content's going to be a lot different between a political science class and, let's say, 201, for example. Every professor is going to be different, too. But build some kind of strategy that you use, that you rely on, that works to study. Okay. The biggest way that you can do this is not only speak with your professors and find out, you know, you know get tips from them because they've obviously been through this. But do remember that it's going to be different for everybody. And a lot of your professors, um, some of them probably like breezed through undergrad. I, I didn't. So I have I have study strategies if you want. Um, but do understand, yeah, everybody's going to have a lot of contributions and like ways to visualize content. Like for me, the best way that I learn is, you know, taking everything down. But then in the margins of the notes, how does this relate to something over here? How does this relate to something completely outside this diet? You know, this this discipline. You know, how could this relate to economics? How could this relate to ethics or philosophy? That builds a much bigger connection for me, for example. Um, so when you have, you know, a study guide and a content study system that you can rely on and you build it through these four years where, you know, the stakes are lower, admittedly, than a healthcare background, than, than a graduate, you know, a healthcare graduate program, you're going to have that content system ready to go from day one when you go into school. So that is a bit amorphous. Um, I'd open it up right now if you just want to use a chat box, like if anybody has their basic study systems that they wanted to share, like tips, things like that. You know, what are strategies that work for you? That's, you know, we can definitely share that. Um, oh, I was trying to think of the one. Yeah, the biggest thing is that you're gonna have to test what works a lot of the time. And that's what these years are for. You can study something and use like a different strategy, maybe write about it, maybe uh, study together or something. And if you are able to see the results from that, oh, okay, like that study strategy worked very well, you're kind of just being a scientist and running an experiment on yourself. And that's what Gustavus is for is like, you know, I tried this strategy that did not work on that test. We're going to not pursue that path again. 
but let's say something did on another test, okay, keep using that path and that'll be good. So yeah, if anybody has any strategies outside of rewriting notes, rewriting notes is good one time, basically. Don't, re don't be redundant. Um, the, uh, the main strategy that I, or the main thing that is, um, oh, uh, sorry, there's a good point about, you know, studying for memory. So all of us have played cards, right, before everybody's seen a deck of cards. What direction does the king on the king of diamonds face? Right, like, are you confident in that? But you've seen cards a hundred times, right? You see cards thousands of times. Repetition doesn't always breed, like, a good like a good cognitive understanding of a concept, you know? So sometimes those deeper ideas, um, they take different approaches to build those associations that are gonna, you know, bear a lot more fruit basically when it comes time to for an exam. So I'll leave it open a little bit here and take like a little pause. Um, you can shout something out if you have strategies that work or you can toss it in the chat. Um, or you can keep them to yourself, that's okay too. <laughs> and then we'll jump into some of the others. Okay, oh yeah. Yeah, so Eloise's is really good. I recommend this for all my Bio 101s, and this will be really important. So 102 is very based in, you know, there's a lot of different systems that you're going to be learning. That's good to compare contrast across. There aren't as many, like, processes that you're going to have to understand. So the big recommendation that I agree, especially with Eloise on this, watch the videos. Um, you know, whether it's Khan Academy, Shamu's Biology, seeing things, like, happen in fluid motion, like DNA replication or something, it's a massive... It's a massive help. That's what I, I really try to tell my one-on-ones is like, I can't give you the same experience as watching this. Please watch it before class, then we're gonna take a look. Um, so Dessa, my number one was basically like collaborative study groups, honestly. And like that, I know that's not for everyone, but that is the biggest place that you can find like somebody else has an understanding that's not, maybe, it, maybe it's just straight up right. Um, but the fact when you see different understandings, that's when like connections build and that's when your brain kind of breaks and it's like, I never thought of it that way. And that's when you build like a really strong association is when you tear down the assumptions that your own mind makes. And this is all in the cognitive science of the neurons and all that. When you tear down assumptions and build something new that can a lot of the times come from, you know, peers or other students, that's really good. And it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to necessarily be friends with who you study with. Honestly, I would just reach out to people in the class and say like, hey, like, I'm in this boat and I want to get an A. I think you do too. Do you want to do you want to work together on this class? Yep. Any tips for forming study group? Oh yeah, with the current online structure, um, that's a curveball. Uh, I don't know. I I was thinking about like kind. Of, so for my 388 class, I'm actually going to facilitate. Um, we're writing a grant, like a, in genomics grant. I'm going to probably put three people together as like peer review groups. Um, but for forming right now, in the context of 102. You could, so I'm not a lecturer in 102, you could probably reach out to your individual um, professors and see if they could like, you know, just make a random suggested study group type stuff. And that kind of breaches the like, hey, would you want to like work together on some stuff? Um, the video chat's not perfect, but it's, I mean, it's, I'd say a good tool still to, you know, sit and leave on um, while you're studying. Okay, studying for test, like big whiteboard, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Nathan brings up a good point. Study with colors. Um, take notes with colors. And, you know, one round can be black. The next one could be red, for example, because when you use color, you can highlight things. You can see, like, where you filled holes in understanding, like, in real time. And using the big whiteboards, that was actually one of my favorite things to do um, at Carleton. So that was that's a really good idea, too. And especially when you're in that group and you can have everything set up. So... That's why I really hope everybody comes back um, in the fall and this isn't a disaster by then still. Um, so yeah, when you're with a group, you're also going to feel, this is the other big thing about groups, is when you put something out there, it's always a risk to say like, hey, the answer is this or this idea is like this, right? And so you're more invested in that idea. You're more invested that you are confident in your answer then because defending answer and knowledge, answers and knowledge is definitely the best way to learn. Um, 
And the other good thing is that when people confirm your thoughts and your defenses and your ideas as like, hey, that's great, that's when you can like really nail something because it's like, okay, we're good. You know, file that away. We're done. We can move on to the next thing. And that confidence of studying with a group and having that validation where it's like, okay, I'm on track. That's perfect. And that's like where a lot of that confidence, otherwise, like, and I had this when I was a freshman, you're studying, I was, I would study at the same table on the like quiet floor in the Carlton nerd library. And I would just be like, well, I think, I think this is right. I don't know. And I would just keep going. And that I paid a price for that. So that's why I definitely encourage a lot of group work is that I didn't reach out until I was probably a sophomore or late freshman. And I wish I had done it way sooner and just get the awkwardness out of the way. Just be like, Hey, like, just offer it up to, you know, people that you sat next to anything, but like, like, like you said, Madison, it's way harder now, um, with the format that we're in, uh, you could even just email the entire class and just be like, Hey, if anybody wants to study between these five hours, um, you know, I, I'll keep a link open, like a Google link and just have it on, on the computer. It's definitely a tougher, uh, tougher scenario, but hopefully this is the only semester where we do this. Okay. Awesome. So let's get to number four. This is the fun part. You will study between 12 and 14 hours a day in a graduate healthcare system, okay? That is with your four to five classes. I think it's usually four a semester, say, okay? But you're learning a ton. A lot of these are five week or 10 week classes in a 15 week semester. They're cramming in. So what I usually share with my 101s, so, so Nathan and a couple others, they'll know this. Um, the graduate expectation is that per class, you're spending about eight to 10 hours studying per week. Sounds like a lot. It is a lot. Um, that that number is going to change for a lot of people. That number is usually going to go up on average during an exam week. Now, that's okay. And again, this is where studying as a group helps and having a group schedule helps is because you your day is set up. And um, that's probably one of the toughest things about health graduate schools is like, you, and this is the biggest advice that all them all of them give, especially the nursing students and the PA students that I know, you will be studying or it's not going to work out. It's, it's that much material. Okay. So consider a Gustavus class, 15 weeks, take bio 101 and put it into five weeks. And that's kind of what you're looking at as far as the level of intensity of material. And then you probably have three other classes like that. Now, given, remember, this will be inherently really interesting stuff. This is going to be like pathology, gross anatomy, um, I can't remember what the class is called, but it was my favorite class that my med friends would always talk about. It was like the random medical issues class, like where you handle like snake bites and um, I don't know, like other like weird stuff like that you would have to learn how to treat. They hated it, but I thought that was such a cool class. Um, so the studying, I mean, this is tough. And um, so the free time exists for sure. Like I, like I played broomball intramurally with most of my med school friends. Like they had that time, but the minute after like the 5 p.m. broomball game, they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're going back, we're studying. Um, so it's very important to use that free time to make sure that mentally you're feeling like good and you're healthy. Um, it's very important to sleep though, too. And that's where this, you know, the math gets pretty tough. Um, sleep is a key thing. You know, we're, we'll get to one other point where we talk about, um, you know, depression, things like that in the medical community. Sleep is one of the few things that's all but confirmed that that helps you feel better. Um, it's yeah, like I said, like you're all in college, you understand. It's not the perfect thing that you want to spend your time on. Um, but just understand, yeah, with the studying, you need to have those hours studying. That's where the group comes in, that it's helpful. Um, but you do have to also make sure that there's time and there's breaks in between where you can kind of revitalize yourself. So this is kind of the point where I'll kind of talk about just the idea of grit. You have to keep going. You can't quit, basically. That's, that's what separates people in these health graduate programs is that some people basically just can't take the amount that keeps coming. And that's the thing. Uh, the, the quote that one of my friends gave me was imagine standing under a waterfall and you have to like stand up while it's like pouring down, like all this stuff. Cause it keeps coming. You have to last through that. And that's the toughest thing. And then basically what med school does is basically it's not that it's shooing you out because you're not smart enough. It's just the fact that a lot of the times people just can't put that time in. And so if you can put that time in, that's what Gustavus prepares you for by being tougher is that you'll be ready for that and you'll be okay. Okay. Um, 
another good good thing is that a lot of this learning, even if it is tough, you're going to be learning through experience. Gross anatomy, for example, is one of the biggest things that pre-med students will spend a lot of their time on, especially in year number one. You will be working on a cadaver and the labs are going to be incredibly hands-on. That's the entire thing. That's why we practice what we do in a biology lab, you know, even in 102. And 102 is, is you know, a great... Um, Oh, wait, I gotta click that. 102 is a great experience because this is your first time actually working, let's say, with organisms, you know, doing stuff. And like, I, obviously we can't have that anymore. Um, but that's the point of labs. And remember that, you know, as bio students, you get like a three extra hours of like instruction for free. Use those. Get to know your lab professors the best because that's when we're like at our like most free usually. Um, and we're like, you know, the most, I don't know, quote unquote fun. And that's when we can like kind of give you like better advice about stuff, things like that. So Use your lab time at Gustavus to hone your psychomotor skills, your ability to follow protocols, your ability to, you know, understand things like on the table. So it's still kind of technically, we count it in that study time, like I talked about the 12 hours a day. But like I said, this is super interesting content. Would you rather, for example, so a, a big thing with gross anatomy is that you will have a task given to you by your resident physician, by your physician, clinician, you know, whoever. And, um, and this is the same for dentistry or any, any time that you're working with, um, you know, human models, let's say, you will likely have to go back sometimes and redo lab stuff and finish it. Um, but again, that's okay because you are inherently interested in the subject matter. And you'll see that that's what feeds a lot of people's motivations for those 12 hours of study. So the future for any healthcare graduate program is that you're going to be working very much through experiences, not so much all the time through classes. And we'll get into those details. Okay. Um, the other thing is that the future of medicine needs to be, it is getting more interdisciplinary. You have a lot more MDs that are, have MBAs. They have masters of public health, for example. So this isn't necessarily a requirement, but it is something that if you have interests outside purely medicine, this is something good that you can probably start putting away for like a personal statement. Okay. So think about all the people that put on their personal statement. I like helping people and that's it. You need to be unique on that. One of the good ways to be unique is that I want to change the system that we have in medicine this way, or I want to take more public health emphasis because I feel this way, you know, make sure that you have something new to bring to the table. Everybody in med school wants to help people. So don't leave, you know, you can, that can, that's obviously a large motivation, but make it a unique contribution that you're going to make somehow. Okay. All right. So I'd say that is... Those are some good, um, that's another good stopping point. And then I think we only have like two more of these sections, so that's okay. And I mean, we got all the time in the world, right? So here, I'll take a little break. If you guys want to pop anything into chat, if you have any questions from what we covered, I'll give it like 20, 30 seconds and we'll go from there. Seven through 10 is some of the hard stuff about a choice to take not only the four years that you would commit to pure school, but the career itself. And this is where, you know, my colleagues insights and what I learned from them and what I saw and what I see from senior, you know, physicians really comes into play. Okay. The biggest thing that you need to deal with. And again, like I said, I deal with a lot of oncologists. You're going to deal with a lot of death. You're going to deal with a lot of failure and overcoming that is massive. That's hard. That's one of the hardest things anybody can do is overcome failure. Um, that's why I say a lot of the time, I really, it's really good now to have these experiences. I don't like it happening in class. Like if you fail a test, you have to get up, pull yourself back up and get back studying for the next one because you're gonna have an experience someday where you'll lose patience depending on how you, you know, what you specialize in. Um, Hopefully, if you're in pre-dentistry, you're not losing any patients, um, but that's the fear as, as everybody um, goes into a dentist. Everybody's like, oh my God. Um, but in, in the case of healthcare, you need to be very ready for what could happen. Um, I think there was a very good scene in the, in the show ER. It's really old, but it's, you know, it's Michael Crichton and it started the whole genre. 
Um, one of the med students that's in the rotation, he loses a patient in the emergency room and he's so broken up about it, but the head chief like just grabs him and is like, it doesn't matter. There's more people coming in, get up right now and go. And you have to be mentally prepared to get up, not give up even when you fail. And that's why having things outside of school, I think is very valuable because you can learn how to fail and get back up from it. Okay. If you lose something or you, you know, screw something up in one of your extracurriculars, it's not a life and death thing in medicine. In a lot of cases, you may find yourself in those scenarios and you are, you have to allow yourself to understand that you might fail in those cases someday. Um, this is where the importance of having a good background, um, as much as you want to in the humanities is very important. I think Mayo has an entire program dedicated to medical humanities so that doctors can explore purpose and meaning and make sure that they are, you know, healthy, you know, thinkers basically past just pathology and the, you know, and the material that they think that they cover and they go through because you need to find that purpose and stick with it a lot of the time because you're going to encounter scenarios that are very, very difficult. Um, I think the COVID, you know, experience right now has shown that, you know, doctors, when they have to decide who's going to be on a ventilator and who's not, for example, um, you know, we saw those reports out of Italy. Um, another thing specifically from one of the friends that I have in Iowa, who's a surgery resident, I remember uh, this, this thought made me think of them was that you're also kind of, um, you know, the, the idea of defying death is very exciting for your patients and you, um, but do you remember you're kind of stepping into a role that no other humans really step into, so it's a bit lonely sometimes. But it's, like I said, it's very exhilarating at the same time. Okay, number eight. Whenever you're treating someone, so this is any pre-health discipline, you may be treating a patient that hates you for some reason, or is rude, or is terrible. You can't control what patients are like. They're not going to be joys a lot of the time. They're going to be angry. They may not believe you. They may think you're a scam artist, especially with how medicine is right now. Be care be be aware of that. You'll get that experience when you start following the clinics, things like that. Um, patients are tough to deal with. In a lot of the cases, they're they're normally pretty good people, pretty nice people. Um, you know, put in an extreme scenario, do be ready for the fact that they will not all the time, you know, it's not going to be a happy talk sometimes, not just in a sadness regard, but in, you know, just like a not getting along regard. Um, so make sure, depending on your speci uh, specialty, that you enjoy engaging people that not all the time are going to uh, be there or be super great. But um, so one thing to consider is that, and this is a stat that was really rough, and this was only like five years ago. Do So be sure about your purpose of going into medicine because the stat right now is roughly that 50, you know, 51 to 53% of physicians, you know, within that margin indicate that they wish they had not gone into medicine. And it usually comes back to the idea of, you know, we'll go into the ideas why in a sec here, but do when you design your purpose and you come to your purpose for, you know, going into medicine, make sure it's strong and you have that time now to think about why it's strong. You'll have that time during school, yes, but now's a, a, the perfect time to explore why is this meaningful to me. That's also going to obviously make you a better candidate because it's going to give you and show that you have that drive and that purpose that's going to keep you going. Um, so here we go. The big reason behind that 50%, there are two main reasons. The one is that even after the four years, and now you will have more debt, you will, um, you're a resident. That's exciting. It's good. But you're not paid like an MD. You will work those 24 to 36 hour shifts as well. Um, it's not just those four years that you're working for nothing, essentially. It's the residency. <clears throat> Sorry, it's the residency after that. It's a lot of hoops to, and I don't want to say hoops to jump through. Um, that's a bad phrase because you do need to, you know, accomplish certain things. Um, but there is a lot of time where money is not going to be the thing that is, um, you know, money's not going to be there for the next, for, a, you know, in some cases, the next decade. Because remember, you entered Gustavus, let's say when you're 18, the next time you make enough money to start making meaningful payments on these loans may be more than 10 years from now. So do be ready for that. 
Um, the real reason I tell you that it's not so much about the money. It is that your motivations for this cannot be the money because if your purpose is to make, you know, less, you know, a little, a little under half a million dollars a year, that purpose dries up. Trust me. It's not something that sustains itself. Unfortunately, I'm not just being, you know, Mr. Literature and like, Oh, seek this, seek that. It's, it's just been time and time again. If your money's your motivator on this, it's not going to be a good time. Now, it's good that, um, you know, obviously these are great careers that can have, you know, have a lot of security, but it's not something that should be the purpose. Think about what your purpose is to be in the healthcare field if, as a physician or, you know, a dentist or a genetic counselor or a PA, a nurse, if you were only making 20000 a year or less, like barely enough to, to get by, would you still do that? And so that's where you gain that purpose. That's where you have that conversation with yourself what's important to me about this process. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Last one that goes into that 50% is that, and this is more geared towards physicians. Um, as a physician, you will be dealing with lots of administrative responsibilities. A lot of the time that you spend dealing with your patients will be paperwork and figuring out where their insurance is going to go and what you can treat them with and what their options are. It is a lot of navigating the different insurances, making sure that those, you know, are all sending up. It is also going to be where can you send your patient, for example, where's their insurance going to work? It is a lot of, it is a lot of work that is not how you were trained. That's the other big thing is that, and that's why something, somebody with an MBA who's also an MD is very powerful because they can kind of go through these processes a lot easier. Um, it's a lot of your work right there. And that's where the motivation has to be so powerful that even if you are not seeing patients 40% of your work time, you have to be okay for the 60% where you are. That has to be enough for you. Now, again, this is an evolving system. Obviously, as you can tell, if you read the, or watch the news or, you know, I don't know, for the last 10 years, sorry, maybe 30 years, um, I don't know what medicine's going to be like in five years. I don't know what changes can actually come down from, you know, the federal government, let's say, or the state governments. That's something for you all to keep very close attention to because that's going to dictate a lot of what it means to be a physician or a medical professional in a lot of cases is the idea of insurance um, and where that's going to go in the next 10 years and, and where we're going to be after that. Uh, the other big frustrating thing, and this is the last thing I'll leave here, is hospitals are not run by doctors most of the time. They're usually run by business people. A business person is probably going to tell you, see more patients in less time. And this happens to a lot of our rural hospitals that don't draw in a lot of money. Doctors have to see, and you know, all the whole team, the whole clinical team has to be seeing patient after patient after patient on as little time as possible. That's a business model. That's how you, you know, revitalize a hospital if you're in the red, basically. But that's not why a lot of people got into medicine. They got into medicine to be, you know, close to their patients and help them through this, you know, journey like that. Um, I think one of the coolest models is Mayo. Mayo CEOs have always been doctors. The way Mayo physicians are paid and the way a lot of the staff is paid is it's not by patient. It's on salary. So that means that you can schedule your own appointments with patients and you're going to devote as much time as possible to each patient that needs it. You're not going to have to, you know, see four patients an hour or something. So that's one of the other things is navigating this new system is tough. So be ready for certain challenges like that. Okay. Okay. Um, last three coming up and then I'll kind of break down what that, those four years are like. But um, if you guys have any questions right now for that last part, that was a lot of the sad side of it because obviously there's like amazing stuff. Like you're going to be learning so much. I mean, even residency itself, so cool um, to be like immersed in uh, basically procedures that, you know, only a few, you know, maybe 10,000 people in the entire planet know, which is awesome. So, and I think for pretty much any healthcare graduation, graduate school, you're going to have the, uh, the option to specialize in something and you'll learn a lot more about each specialty as you go along. Like there are plenty of residencies that don't take too long and they're really good nine to five. Um, like I have a friend at Rush Medical School and he is a urologist and like as much as we want to make fun of him, he works nine to five and his residency is really nice. And, 
you know, he's, you know, he takes, he kind of, we make fun of him, obviously, but I mean, he has a great schedule and he never like loses a patient or anything, you know? Um, it's not how I want to spend my, my four years of residency or ever, but oh well. Okay. So I'll leave. If you guys have any open questions right now, where we're at, um, that's, I'll leave this open for like 15 seconds or something. my experience, Nathan, you learn the hard way. You get handed some paperwork and you figure out how to fill it out. And that's bad. That's not good. That's, that's probably the biggest negative that I get from my, my colleagues is like, and remember, I also work with a lot of oncologists and you can imagine how insurance is like just a mess when it comes to cancer treatments. Um, I do believe there's more support now at a lot of the better, at a lot of the medical schools. I think a lot of it's optional. So when you have that ability, go out and seek those opportunities to, they may seem like the worst seminar on the planet, you know, come in and look how to administer a patient and like understand insurance in your days. Like I talked about when you're studying 12 hours a day, you maybe have like three hours that you can donate to other things. It seems tough. Um, but that would be something I would focus on just to be sure that you're ready for that, that the minute you jump in, you'll probably have, have a resident, you know, teach you how to do it the first time they'll watch you do it the next time, you know, filling out these work. And then you go and you do it. Um, financial class. This is tough, but I think a lot of med schools, and I think maybe Gustavus, um, look into anything that has like an MBA, an MBA component to it. Because as, as bad as that sounds, understanding how businesses work is going to help you understand how hospitals work. Um, you know, in a lot of ways that we run a lot of the hospitals that we, that we have now. Um, but as far as class selection, that's actually a really good question, Dessa. And I know, sorry, Eloise, I know I see your question too. Um, so a big, so we'll get to your question, Eloise. People do fail tests in medical school. It's kind of the thing. It's kind of like engineering school. You're going to get a 65 on a test eventually. Um, the the grades matter. I think you do have to exist above like a 2.0 at least. Um, you don't necessarily fail ever. But that GPA is going to factor in where you get sent to residency and how you, you know, appear to, you know, residency programs. So you may graduate, you know, with a C average or something. And I'm not saying anybody will, obviously. But if you do, they'll see that and they'll be like, okay, like, did you figure it out though? Or did you do really well with your resident or with your third and fourth year clinical rotations? So we'll get into what year two is. Year two is when you take an exam called the board's exam, part one. That is the big, massive test of basically everything in science, essentially. Physiology, organisms, evolution, ecology, cells, whole things on the table. And the test, how you do on the boards, and boards part two and three also, those are factored in for how well you do in the, your classes, basically because did you learn from your classes. So I would say boards are equally as important as the GPA um, because the graduation will happen, but it's the matching towards... A resident program that's what counts so that's that's like that's what's more important basically because you can graduate med school and be a doctor but if you don't match to a residency that's that's the key there used to be a joke called what do you call the last person who graduates med school it's called doctor it's like yeah but if it's not going anywhere what's the use you know yeah and Carly's point will factor into number 13 on my list here, the competition side of it, um, which we are working to eliminate a lot better, at least UNMC was. Um, so Dessa, for a financial class, I'm trying to think of like, probably like business administration. That would be the one that I would target. I don't know if Gustavus has something specific like that, but you could probably look into uh, MSU. Honestly, I bet MSU's business program has like a big, like even hospital admin set of classes. And that could be something really cool to put on a resume and say like, hey, look, I'm really prepared for this, not only in the field scientifically, but I would be prepared for this, you know, from this standpoint as well. And I could be a real asset to your program for that reason. So that's a very, very good point to, um, to go through. Yeah, so Carly's point is really good. So I can, um, actually, we'll just start with that one right now. A lot of med schools will do class rank as 
that's how the class is like determined and that's how you look to future residencies is where was your class rank not necessarily your gpa because everybody's gpa in med school is a little it's going to be different depending on med schools the class rank though that's normalized you're like you know 99 out of 100 even if you have a 3.5 gpa that's not very good then right so class rank is important and this is where the com competitive side of things gets tough is like you do want to be studying with people but then it kind of is like, do I want them to be doing better than me? The long answer is, is the long term, you're going to learn a lot more and be better prepared someday when you get out of this, if you study with people. And mathematically, you're not going to lose or gain ground by, you know, based on your, your colleagues studying with you. It's going to be a net positive no matter what. So Carly's point's good, and that's why a lot of med schools are doing a pass-fail, is so that... And which I think is important because really the test is going to be on the boards your second year, that big, that big mega test. That's really the like metric that people are after anyway, and that's fully objective. So it's much better. But um, if you do end up in a program where the competition is still pretty inherent and it's kind of an old school idea still with some of the older clinician professors or healthcare professionals is to rank and kind of, you know, make it kind of hardcore like that, be ready for it, but don't. Hopefully that system keeps evolving in the next three to four years and you don't have to deal with it as much. Um, there's merits to it, obviously, but it's, I, I don't know. Like, like Carly's point says, it's not going to breed that same collaboration between students as that you usually see, that you usually want. Um, okay. Um, so one thing that you could pursue for kind of personal statement and something that is really necessary is what kind of changes to the system would you bring and this this aligns with the mba idea or this aligns with you know if you're applying for an md phd program you know what what is something unique that you're going to bring to the field here of medicine you know not just like i've said you can't just say oh i like to help people everybody does be different figure out a way that you're different that you're special and you bring a unique piece of a conversation to this school um you know and you will bring that in four years uh, the other thing, 12, last one, before we flip to just what the classes are like. Awesome. Um, there is a time sacrifice on this. There's a sacrifice of the possibility of, you know, immediate family and kids, immediate, tr you know, traveling, for example. You may be restricted to, you know, where you go for certain classes or conferences, maybe, um, for travel. It's not impossible. One of my good friends at UNMC, they went and presented in Ireland. And so that was a great reason to get a paid trip or a semi-paid trip to Ireland, even though it is still under the shade of med school. Um, so a lot of the things that your friends will be doing that will just go out and start working, you won't be doing because you won't have time. Um, so keep that sacrifice in mind. And, um, you know, that's why I really love the idea of a gap year for, for everybody. I'd recommend it for everybody. But I know that, you know, you're motivated and you want to get going. Um, but if you have that year where you go and, you know, explore the world, you know, explore what makes, you know, medicine important to you, you'll come in a lot stronger of a candidate, I think. Um, that's not how a lot of my friends at UNMC or my cousin did it. They jumped right in from four years. Um, so it's kind of to each their own in that case. Okay. So now I asked my, mainly my, my clinical friends and the younger ones, what are these four years like? What are the key ins and outs of each year? So I'll just go by year and we'll kind of see what that's like. This is going to be pretty reflective of maybe a PA or a nursing program because it's, again, it's mainly going to be labs, classes, and then you're going to get into the clinic and into the field. And we'll see that there are certain challenges with each of these. But remember through this whole time, this is super, I mean, I'm a biology person, obviously, but I loved hearing about what my friends were doing that week, you know? You know, what systems are you working on? What drugs are you looking at? Um, you know, what did you do in the lab? Did you, you know, I mean, they're taking out brains and stuff and I'm just, I'm sitting here in my lab with my cancer cells and I'm just like, oh my God. So we always would have the argument though, me and my, my med school friends, I was like, oh my God, I would take studying over research always. And they're like, no, you would not want to study this much. And I was like, yeah, maybe good point. So if you're built for studying, you're going to be built for these first two years. So first year is... This is the study of what is normal about a human body. This is anatomy, physiology, basically everything that you need to know about the system that you'll be working in. And you're not going to specialize here. You're going to learn it all. And this is the this is the big part where 
a lot of people get left behind because they're not ready for that really intense time experience or the amount of content that let's say over a semester is 15 weeks and you're shorten that by a third, but still like push it through basically. So from the beginning, be ready, get everything, get your books read, um, before the class. I'm not joking about that. That's one of the biggest things that helps a lot of my, helped a lot of my friends was we would buy, we would have the textbook from our friends who were a year ahead of us. And it was, we, we, we read the textbook the for, through one round, take the big ideas away that you, you know, were important to you and have those ready to associate once you see the content as it's coming at you. So having that book the first year and like pretty much reading the whole thing and getting the ideas down, that's important. That sounds like a lot. It is. Um, what is the other, what is the other good tip that they had? Um, oh yeah. Oh, like I said, it's very normal to fail tests. Don't worry. Especially in the first years. Um, you will likely have a test that you get 65 or less on. Um, curves are a little bit rarer than they should be. I think you will be in pretty big classes at these first sections. And this is the key insight that I have, um, is that there are, you're going to have a lot of younger, uh, physicians and clinicians or, you know, medical professionals that are teaching you and they're going to pursue strategies like we do at Gustavus that are like very good learning strategies. Like we're going to boost learning. We're going to do this. You will encounter a lot of professors in, in a postgraduate program that will put text on PowerPoint slides and that's on the test and you'll go through a hundred of those in an hour and that's it. Okay. So be ready for that. That's a big transition from Agustavis where we're putting out as many resources. We're trained teachers at a teaching hospital. Sometimes you'll have somebody teaching a class that doesn't necessarily want to teach the class, you know, and they're going to put out a bunch of slides. So be ready for that style of learning. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to prepare you. You're going to have to kind of build the material based on what is given in lecture to your own liking. That's again where the group stuff can be good. That's again where like I know that my friends do Google Docs of massive study guides that while they can look at the PowerPoints, they're building the Google Doc alongside of it with pictures, with their own insights, all written when they're making comments in their own color so they can see who's making comments and like who's making contributions. Because if you can collectively attack this as a group, you're gonna do so much better. It's like having five brains, basically. It's so much It's so much easier. And it's good, too, because you're actually still learning it. Like, even if something is so tough and somebody just tells you, you know, the answer or the concept, it is better than you struggling and not feeling confident about it when you're thinking about it. It's just, that's just how it goes. So, again, these groups, very good in that first year. There's a ton of stuff. Um, this is the quote from my friend. Yeah, this is basically like your head is under a waterfall. It's not going to stop. That, and that's the key is you will not be able to stop the minute you are done with a test in one class. You have one day to celebrate that and you get going again. That's about it. So in a lot of cases and what we're trying to prepare you at Gustavus is to basically be just like black belts. The minute you show up at a med school and you're ready, you're ready for never being not busy. And Gustavus is, Gustavus is good because you have a lot of time to pursue all kinds of other things. And I am a big proponent of that. Carlton didn't really give you that option. It was kind of like, you know, study or die, basically. It's not the philosophy I would pursue, but train yourself. And, and this is good by having extracurriculars is so that you understand what that amount of time is always going to be pressured on. That's what it's like. That's what we're training you at Gustavus to do is to understand that there are going to be periods where it doesn't stop all semester. And... Sometimes that's tougher in undergrad because it's not necessarily something that you're as motivated to study each time. In medicine, like I've said, you're going to be way motivated because this is really cool stuff. But it is going to be a lot of, it's going to be so much stuff. But that's a good thing. And we want you to be well trained and understand everything. So that's good. Okay. That's your first year. That's your first year. The point of the first year is to understand what is normal in the human body. The point of the second year is to understand when things go wrong. This is pathology pathophysiology, the study of disease, and what drugs treat what diseases. This is where the content gets very simple as far as the structure of what you need to know. But you need to know every single disease there that exists. You need to know what causes it. You need to know what symptoms. You need to know what treats it. Uh, you need to know its history a little bit. You need to know what are future treatments being designed, right? 
that's where it gets tough is the second year. And the preparation all goes in to build on what you did in the first year, which was here's the normal human body. Second year is all about here are the things where it goes wrong. So it's a very, you know, it's a very elegant move. It's very awesome, you know, and it trains doctors very well. But it is also, you know, it's very tough because you're not only learning new stuff, but you are learning it in the system that you learned last year. So that means that remember those five weeks where you learned something really specific, you can't just forget it. That's the other thing is that learn this stuff as deeply as you can. And you can start that now. You really can. Um, you know, I've, I've encouraged people before to go down rabbit holes of, you know, great Khan Academy physiology videos to get that intro inside for that first year, for example. Um, you know, find interesting books that maybe are, they are science-y, but they're not like, you know, they're not pure textbooks and that can drive your interest on something. And that you can build an importance association to that material later when the textbook does come and find you. And that's the importance with that second year is that, and well, that's the importance of the first year is make sure you learn the stuff first year. Don't just, don't just test on it and forget it. You're going to need it again. You're, so I'm just telling you that that's the, that's the one thing that my friends would always say. That's tough. It's like, I forgot this from last year. That's why today is tough. That's why this week's test is awful. It's because I don't remember this from, from pharmacology, for example. Okay. Again, though, this is the second year gets even better as far as the content, because now you're learning everything about medicine all at once. It's awesome. And this is going to apply in the same way at any graduate um, program that's healthcare based. So this is dentistry, PA, nursing, again, GC. Um, this is where you're really learning like the awesome ins and outs of what it takes to be a doctor. And the best parts is in this case is, or what it takes to be a medical professional, sorry. What it ta what's great in this case is that this is the all prep round. This is where you learn to be everything. This is where, you know, you learn to save someone on a plane, for example. Um, so it's awesome. The other cool thing with second year, and this is, this, this was the most fun for me, like experiencing this with students is like, you make amazing friendships in med school. Think about it. This is a bad comparison, but this is how they always called it for me. It's kind of like, cause you have lockers and like there's a library. It's kind of like high school. If you like, liked every, if like everyone that you went to high school with had everything in common with you, like you all have the same ideas and goals and like, you have so much in common. You're all in the same boat. You're all studying your, like your asses off basically. The, in, the friendships that you make in a med school are so unique and powerful. Like, and that's why I was so lucky that I got to know so many of these, you know, these people and we've been to weddings and stuff and it's awesome because you're so immersed together in this really tough situation that you emerge, um, you know, so much more powerful together from it. And that's probably one of the coolest things about second year is you're, you're kind of on top of your stuff when it comes to studying by then. And you can really enjoy like the good parts with your friends. Um, okay. Big thing about second year though, the boards exam. If I were you, and if you want to get ahead, I would go find a boards exam test book right now, or just, you know, download a PDF literally today and, and look at it and see what's going to be expected. Right. Because it's not only going to add meaning to the material that you're going to see. It adds a lot of meaning to the stuff that we teach you in bio 101 and 102 and 201. All of it's in there again. Okay. So there are versions of the boards um, for dentistry, nursing, and PA and, and the other disciplines because, you know, it, it's basically a big objective style measure and the others do the same kind of thing. But to use boards as the example, the boards are a massive objective measurement of your preparedness to handle all this content. Can we trust that you deeply learned this? Because this is from two years of tons of stuff. I think there was a comic in the one of the med school offices that I would always, um, go by. And it was like, the brain has like a trillion neurons or like a trillion connections. And there's a trillion and one fact, like things you need to know for the boards. So it's like, it's kind of a sink or swim thing. You start preparing for this test, probably your first year, you know, inherently, not only by learning what you're learning in class, but, um, just by making sure that you're, you're deeply learning that stuff. Um, the biggest thing, the comparison that I want to make here is that, in, so the way that law school works is you have to work in a gray area and you have to find the most correct answer among five correct answers, but one's the best. The thing with the boards is you have to know what's the most important to a larger concept. What's the most important thing when it comes to 
um, you know, Mendelian genetics, what's the most important thing when it comes to epigenetics? So some of these answers, they're not going to be your typical ACT or MCAT style answers. It is a level kind of above that where the answers are going to be a lot more detailed that you're going to have to put forward. So boards part one is hardest because that is your big overview of all material, basically. Um, boards two and three, shoot, I can't actually remember, but that gets more into the specific medical school, school stuff that you actually learned the last year. So this is like, I know that the USMLE is first aid. I'm going to, I'm going to Google it right now. USMLE boards. Okay. Medical licensing exam, step one, step two. Okay. Yeah, clinical skills is step two. Um, I think there's a step three that like certain specialties want. Okay, so the big thing with the boards is that how you do on the boards is gonna determine what residency programs you can get into. If you wanna do surgery or neuropathology or neurosurgery or something, you have to score really high on the boards. They really want high scores on that. Um, I know my, my cousin joked that, cause she wants to do infectious disease and I asked her how it, you know, how, how everything went. And she's like, well, I'm not going to be a neurosurgeon anytime soon, but I definitely, I nailed it. It's okay. I don't, I don't trust her. She's pretty smart. So I think that she probably did really well. Um, but it kind of, it, it's a very big determinant of your residency, but the minute that you pass and you know, you do, that's one of the biggest celebrations you have, um, is passing these big, these big exams. So that's good. Okay. That was kind of a lot. So does anybody, what are the, so now once you pass the boards too, your second year, like the content and the labs, now you're going to jump into something new in the third year. So let's take like a 10 second here and see like where everybody's at. Yeah. If you fail boards part one, I think you, I think it's about a six month turnaround. I could be wrong on that though, Madison. Let me see. Um, if you fail your boards, I think it was, I think you... You don't renew in school. Let's see. If you fail the board. Yeah. So, I mean, you will have to simply reschedule things, um, get things going. I can't remember how that impacts the third year schedule. I don't know if there's a time... I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's kind of the advice that I my friends gave me is kind of what Nathan said. It's like, well, there's one way to be champion. Never lose. Um, it's not great. It's not perfect advice because, like, obviously there's the possibility. Um, the Remember how I talked about the first and second year, the grades um, in your classes? They're not going to be the biggest determinant your classes are preparing you for boards, basically. So failing the boards is kind of saying that you didn't learn this material super deeply. And again, tests are not a perfect measure of understanding. Um, so I think the options are going to be special each time, depending on what you want to do in that case. I can tell you that it's not something good because you will have paid for two years of med school already. Um, and that's one of the risks of a med school is if you fail one of those exams, it's not a perfect scenario. It's not impossible to get through, but it's not going to be good. I do know one person that failed their boards out of our group that we hung out with. And after that, I think, I think what they did was actually, this was actually a smart decision by them. They actually did a master's for two years and then came back and did their boards. And so the schools allow that. The schools are going to facilitate you. They're not going to kick you out if you fail the boards or anything. Um, so don't worry about that. But definitely don't, yeah, do everything you can not to fail those. And you'll have a lot of resources. Your friends will all be studying and you'll be okay as long as you pursue the same strategies that have led to success in your classes. You should be fine. Awesome. Okay. So... Third and fourth year, this will be good. Third and fourth year, you get out of the classroom and you will be put in the clinic. You will be supervised by residents and internal and supervising physicians. And this is kind of, um, this isn't quite Grey's Anatomy. They're actually residents, Never mind. Um, so for your third year, 
you will be put into the major specialties. So you're going to see OBGYN, you're going to see surgery, you're going to see internal medicine. Um, I think you have to see psychiatry, which I love psychiatry. I think it's one of the coolest ones, but it's kind of like, it's kind of the, the stepchild of the, the required um, clinical rotations that you take. So in these rotations, you'll be with a small group of third-year med school students like you. And again, like I'm, I'm using the med school example, but this is very similar to a lot of the other health professionals' um, clinical rotations. So you do your clinicals, and you are essentially working at that stage. Um, you are under the supervision of a resident or you know a physician, but you are you know performing a lot of the procedures. You are watching and learning, and you know your grades are actually going to come from those supervisors are they you know do they approve of how you did this is where third year is awesome this is where third year is tough is that it's kind of the luck of the draw whoever your supervisor is okay you can i would i would read a little bit about the experience sometimes you have an, an amazing mentor somebody who's supportive awesome sometimes you'll get someone that does not want students and they are terrible and they're just awful and the problem is, and this is very similar to what I went through in PhD, you know, graduate school, uh, they kind of own you at that point. It sucks. Um, that's the worst thing is like during these clinical rotations, they're the ones grading you, usually kind of alone, not always. Um, and that's kind of the same thing with a graduate school person like me, like my boss, my, my principal investigator. He controls what I publish, he controls what I do. It's kind of the same thing in the supervisor role is that you're kind of following their lead and now you're also separated from a lot of your friends and your study partners at this point. So you're all still at the same med school but you're in different rotations now. So you're not necessarily gonna be able to work together as much. Third year is unique because it's awesome because you're in the clinic but it's just you now in a lot of cases. You may not know everybody in your clinical rotation group and it's really going to be dependent on who you get as a supervisor, not only for your grade, but just what those, you know, three months are going to look like for your life. If it's going to be hell or it's going to be awesome. Um, it is definitely um, one of the harder ones. Uh, it's, it's one of the ones that seven days a week, you're going to be in there. You're going to be working. Um, so again, by this stage, you know, you've passed the boards and everything. You better be super motivated as far as... Uh, you know, why you're doing this, because this is going to be the point where your friends are off in careers making money and stuff. And like, if you're not enjoying medicine at this point, like, do think about that um, before you get into it, is make sure that you have that commitment. But if you love medicine, this is going to be the best year ever, because you're actually treating patients at this point. So it's awesome. Um, the last point I have here is for my friends, this is when you start really having that choice about kids and family is what specialty am I going to pursue as a resident to because the residencies depend on how much years you are a resident and before you're an attending. So an attending is a graduated resident. That's totally past med school. But this is the beginning of that because you eventually have to choose a specialty. Internal medicine is great because that means you're like a general physician and you can do anything. Um, I actually think that would be something fun that I would have done if I was in this position. Because um, I just like every everything kind of. Um, and the other tough part is you if you end up in a in a role that you don't, you know, one of the clinic rotations that you're not really big on, um, you're not quite at the fourth year yet, so you can't really see the end of the tunnel yet, and that makes it tough. Um, so third year is a very mixed bag because you are finally in the clinic and you're making an impact, but kind of the scenario and the environment's gonna change. But as long as you're happy with what you're doing, you'll make it, so that'd be good. Um, yeah, and you don't just have to do the five um, recommended specialties. They're not, they're not recommended, so everybody does the same five clinical specialties. I can't remember what the fifth one is. I'm, I'm losing track. Um, but you can go into really uni unique stuff. You can go and have a like a hematology one. You can have an oncology one. You can do infectious disease rotations. Um, you know, I would Google the, the programs that you're interested in right now and see like what their major rotations are and like how what departments are they best known for because that can determine what you're um, you know what you're thinking. It, um, I want you to be an open mind when it comes to what uh, specialty you want to do, but having that in mind even before the first year or even getting an idea now, that's going to look like you're really prepared and good when you make these personal statements to get into med school. So having that idea now is good. It's not necessary, um, but it's good to have that in your head. Um, like I said, then you can also specialize in all kinds of different stuff. Um, 
there's really specific specialties too, like like my friend who does urology. <laughs> um, you can do dermatology. Uh, you can do all kinds of stuff. Like I know that the chancellor at UNMC, where I was from, he was a pediatri he was a pediatric cardio surgeon. So he did surgery on babies that weren't born yet. So super special, super crazy and cool. Um, actually, I think cardiology might be the fifth one that you do, no matter what, but not baby cardiology like that. That's just super cool and like really hard.